G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Here's Dr. Michael Youssef, introducing you to the real-life details regarding the story of the prodigal son. You have to understand that in the Middle Eastern culture, but particularly at the time of Jesus, it would be unthinkable for a boy to come to his father and ask for part of his estate. Because when the child is asking for that part of the estate, he's basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Welcome to Leading the Way Audio with pastor and author, Dr. Michael Youssef. It's not uncommon to hear stories of young adults raised in wealthy families, wasting away an inheritance in wild living. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a similar story. In his teaching, Jesus uses this scenario to reveal the heart of the Heavenly Father toward his rebellious children. It's part of the Bible often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Right now, a message called God's Exemplary Pursuit, taking you into the pages of the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to tell us and reveal to us what God the Father is like, he said, God is a father to everyone who would come and take the Son as the Savior of the life. He's the Father. And the story that we call the parodical son, is all about the father. It's about the heart of the father. It is about the character of the father. It is about the loving characteristics of the father. And Jesus wanted us to know what his father, with whom he coexisted before the creation of the universe, he wanted us to know what his father is like. So he tells us this story. He wanted us to comprehend and take in deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, what the Father is like, what the nature of the all-powerful and the almighty God, whom we call our Heavenly Father, is like. And so he begins the story by saying there was a Father. And this is the focus. (laughs) Please listen carefully. Whether you and I have had or do have good fathers or not so good fathers, that's beside the point. Whether you and I have had harsh fathers or kind fathers, that's beside the issue. Whether you and I have had or have adorable fathers or abusive fathers, that's beside the issue. Jesus wants us to know what God the Father is like. Jesus is saying that this is what the Father in heaven is like. And therefore, listen to me, any and every sound teaching and preaching and thinking must begin with the Father. It must begin with the Father. It must start with the Father. It must focus on the Father. Why? Because when God the Father is my primary focus, it is your primary focus, me and my needs, you and your needs are going to be met in His glory and in his riches. 
The word in Hebrew, Abba, is <laughs> such a rich word. It's such a powerful word. It's so, a word that is so filled with emotions. It's a, so comprehensive that I am personally convinced that we will never comprehend it completely until we see our Heavenly Father in heaven face to face. And that is why it was so important for Jesus to let you and me and every subsequent generation from His time on to know what His Father is like. There was such a distorted image of the Father, even in His time, that He is trying to set the record straight. And He wants us to know how God feels when one of His children willfully and deliberately goes his or her own way. He wants us to know how God the Father feels when one of His children lives through their lives as if God the Father doesn't exist. He wants us to know how He feels when one of His children take all of the blessings and all of the resources from the hand of the Father and they totally ignore Him. He wants us to know how the father feels when one of his children does not even think of coming to him unless they become desperate and they really need something. When his children live their lives indifferent toward him. And that's what he tells us in the example of the younger boy in the story. But we also see how the father feels when some of his children live a life that's on the surface, focused on the rituals, tradition. They may even go to church. They may even sing in the choir. They are in the house, but their heart is in the far country, as we see in the story of the older boy, because his heart was in the far country. This is the third in the series of messages, the God who pursues us. And uh, we saw first the story of the lost sheep. Then we saw the story of the lost coin or the engagement ring as I explained to you what the coin is all about. And here he tells us about the story of two lost sons, <laughs> just like the sheep and the coin. One son was lost in the far country, the other son was lost right in the home. But there's something very, 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 how many varies are these? Very important. I don't want you to miss. And it is this. When the sheep wandered in the wilderness in foolishness, the shepherd went after him and did not rest until he carried him on his shoulder and brought him all the way home. And when the woman lost her and get part of her engagement ring, that coin that was in the simdi that she wore at her engagement, when she lost that coin as a result of negligence, as a result of carelessness, she searched diligently until she found the lost coin. But here, in this story, when the son deliberately and willfully and premeditatedly left home, the father waited for him in the house. I'm going to say some more about that. But it's very important for you to get that. It's very, very important. It's part of the whole picture. But in order to comprehend how miserable an act that this young boy has committed, in order to just get it and really comprehend the depth of the hurtful feelings on the part of the father, 
you have to understand that in the Middle Eastern culture, but particularly at the time of Jesus, it would be unthinkable for a boy to come to his father and ask for part of his estate. It would be unthinkable. Because when the child is asking for that part of the estate, he's basically saying, whether he articulated or not, whether he verbalized it or not, he's basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Hurry up and die so I can get my hand on the estate. Can you imagine how hurtful that is? Can you imagine how painful that is? Oh, but listen, think about how many people, how many people who may never entertain the thought that they wish that God in heaven be dead. They may never articulate the thought that they wish the heavenly Father was dead. They will never say it. They will never think it. And yet, they live their lives as if God is dead. <laughs> you say, Michael, wait a minute. This is too strong. This is too harsh. What do you mean? I'll never do that. Well, when you go home, I want you to look at your calendar and find out exactly how much of your calendar does God occupy. Check your checkbook. Find out how much of that God occupies. And He gives you everything to begin with. Go and list your priorities in life and find out where does God fit in in your priorities of life. People are living as if God is dead. You say, but that's different. Not at all. Subconsciously, so many people take all of the resources and all of the blessings and all of the good things that come from the hand of God, and they spend it on themselves. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. You need to understand. To see the reaction of the Pharisees and the scribes to whom Jesus was speaking. I mean, they must have absolutely had shocked faces. They must have had their mouths open and their eyes wide open because they could not believe what they just heard. Let me explain it in context. If a kid back then <laughs> came to his father and said, give me the part of your estate that I would have inherited when you die. You know about the only thing that this kid is going to see? With the back of the hand. I got a few of those. <laughs> but we thought it was normal. <laughs> never thought anything about it. I never one time got it. I didn't think I deserved it. <laughs> when people talk about how discipline warps your personality, I tell people, I said, it warped certain part of my anatomy, but not my personality. <laughs> and these people who were listening to Jesus at the time were absolutely Mesmerized. I mean, like they were saying, huh? <laughs> Are you kidding us? The father did what? Are you for real? Is that really true? But it gets more hilarious than that. <laughs> According to the Old Testament laws of inheritance that you find in Deuteronomy 21.17, the older boy inherits two-thirds of the estate, and the younger boy would have inherited one-third, not half-half, because it was understood, and if you read on in the book of Deuteronomy, the older boy was expected to take care of his widowed mother and uh, run the family business. And so he would have inherited two-thirds according to the Word of God, according to the law of God. But that's after the father dies, not before. Listen to me. What Jesus is deliberately doing here was to impress upon them and upon us how incredibly, how awesomely, how unbelievably, how indescribably, how inexhaustibly the love of God is. And the patience of God, Paul said to the Romans, 
is supposed to constantly bring us to the point that God has been so patient with me, I better turn my life over to Him. Not to say, oh, well, you know, God obviously doesn't care. I can run around, I can do whatever I want to do, and God doesn't care. No, 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 no. His love and His patience is long and deep because He wants His patience and His love to draw you and woo you to Him. That's why. Someone here is running away with all of God's blessings and living in the far country. You know who you are. I don't. Only you know. And you're totally oblivious to the broken heart of the Father who's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Come home to the loving arms of the Father. And you can do that today. Someone here today may have somebody in their life that is so blinded with self that they cannot see the pain that they're causing you. Let them go. Let them go. Do you have someone who has betrayed you and falsely accused you when you've done nothing but love that person? Let them go. Why? Because often, most often, it is only in the far country will they come to their senses. Those who are blinded with selfishness will only come to their senses when they become so desperate. What is your far country? What is your far country? Is it an unwholesome relationship? Is it a misplaced priority? Is it blind desire for accumulating for the sake of accumulating? Is it worry and anxiety and fear? Is it inability to trust God with your life, to trust God with your family, to trust God with your future, to trust God with your business, to trust God, and you want to take things into your own hands? What is your far country? But remember this. The Father may just let you keep on going. And keep on going to your heart's content. But he's hurting as he's waiting. And he's waiting. And he waits patiently. But don't take that patience for granted and commit the sin of presumption. The father in this story, of course, he could have tried to stop the boy. I know people who try to stop the child. And they would have probably cried and said, son, what are you doing? What you? No, no, he didn't. He just let him go. Obviously, he could afford a private detective and send him and follow up to find out where the boy every step of his way and report back to him. He didn't. He could have sent one of his servants and he'd just be there to be available to help. No, 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 no. Because that way the boy will never come to his senses. Some of you may be in a place where the father was. Your heart is broken in two over someone in your life, and you're going through your own private Gethsemane right now. Your pillows are stained with tears, and you're hurting so much that you can't hurt anymore. 
Please, please listen to the voice of the Father saying to you, I know what you're going through. I experience that pain when one of my children is living for self. Please understand that I experience that same pain when one of my children insists on going his or her own way. Please understand that I experience that same pain when one of my children lives unfaithfully to me. Please understand that I experience the same pain when one of my children deny me before men. But let me hasten and hurry up to tell you about the father's reaction when his wayward boy came home. That's my favorite part of the story. It really is. And I pray there will be until I see Jesus face to face. It is my favorite part. When a boy finally comes to the point of nowhere else to turn, you have to ask the question, why does it have to get to this point? Our stubborn nature. Our stubborn nature. That we have to get so desperate before we turn to God. And finally, this boy comes to his senses. And the father said to him, You stupid, foolish boy. You caused me all this worry and pain. Listen, my boy. You have to earn my forgiveness. You have to work for your keep. You have to grovel and prove that you really mean it. Is that what the father said? No. Is that what the father said? No. But listen, that's exactly, exactly what the listeners to Jesus would have done if they were in that situation. It's exactly what they've done as part of the custom of the day, as part of that culture. The boy would have sat outside of the house for about a week. And as the passers-by mock him, make fun of him, and as the passers-by humiliate him as they go by and say nasty things, and when after the villagers have, have had their fun and making fun of the boy, and when the father feels that the boy is sufficiently humiliated, then he would take him home and have him come inside. Ah, but that's not what happened. Because that's not how the Heavenly Father works. That's not how the Heavenly Father responds. And that's what He's trying to impress it on, in their heads. It says the Father ran. You know, when we say, well, isn't that sweet? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that nice? But you've got to understand, my beloved friends, you've got to understand there's, there's a deeper meaning in this. This is, this is huge when you understand that in the Middle East culture, particularly in the days of Jesus, men never Never, never, never run. They don't run. Only the servants and the slaves and those who are running from the law will run. A dignified man, a dignified father is the one in this story. Never, never run. And that is why this is a big part of the story. It's a huge part of the story. Running is a form of humiliation. <laughs> Running is a form of degradation. Can you see the cross here? Can you see the cross here? Where the Father humiliated Himself in the Son as He hung on that cross in order that He might die for everyone who would come to Him and ask for His forgiveness. Yeah. What does the Father in heaven do? 
when a person repents of their sin and come and ask for his forgiveness, when they come under conviction and say, Lord, forgive me, what does the Father do? Oh, He embraces him as a form of acceptance. He kisses him as a form of reconciliation. He washes them and cleanses them as an assurance of total forgiveness. He puts on his own robe on him because he had no robe of his own. The boy had no robe of righteousness, and you and I do not, did not have any robes of righteousness, not a single good deed that would have made us acceptable to God the Father. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ had to put His robe of righteousness on us to be accepted to the Father. That's what He does. We'll give God praise if you want to give Him praise. Some of you here may be in the far country. Will you respond? You've never received Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life and the Lord of your life, and you've never really felt His warm embrace. You never understood what it is to be free of guilt and sin. Today you can come home. You can come home. You've been far away from the security and the peace that only the Father can give. Today you can come home, and you can say, Father, and you know what? Just like the father of the boy... The boy didn't really finish. He prepared his speech, and you know that in the story. He prepared his speech, but he never got to finish it. He never got to finish the speech. He said, Father, I have sinned. And the father said, that's enough. And the father will embrace you. And the father will tenderly forgive you. And the father will bring you home. He'll place a robe of Jesus' righteousness. And then he will call you a daughter and a son. And he'll adopt you. And once you're adopted in his family, there is no leaving. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I lose none. See, it's not up to you. It's up to him. And he's holding you on those strong arms. Perhaps this message has shown you that you're living far away from God and given you the desire to return to the Heavenly Father. If you'd like to talk with someone, please start at ltw.org slash Jesus. This is Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Listen on the radio, online, through the Leading the Way app, or by subscribing to one of the podcasts. Get info about all of these at ltw.org. While you're there, take a moment to learn about a powerful podcast called Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef. Each week, Jonathan, who serves as a pastor of intergenerational ministries in his local church, discusses current cultural trends and issues. He shares ways for Christians of all ages to respond biblically to our anti-biblical culture. LTW.org Sometimes we are better evangelists for our own politics than we are for Christ's gospel. Too often opinions replace action and social media posts replace prayer. Our hope in life and our comfort in death is Jesus. And when we're looking around and the world's falling apart, you can see that how broken humanity really is and how we must place our hope in Him because we can't place our hope in the things of this world. They just see you put on a baseball uniform and they yeah, sell and they, they think, no well, you idea. should have it all together. And, yeah. and what I tell people all the time is I was broken before I ever put the uniform. And it was my pain of who I was that led me to my greatness. Mm-hmm. And it would be my greatness eventually lead me to my destructive behaviors. 
it was definitely the Lord who brought mm-hmm. me along on a journey to be able to say, how are you standing for the family? Will you stand for your brothers and sisters who don't bear your same skin color? So many people deconstruct because of hypocrisy and they think all the evangelicals are evil and fear-based and all of this. Just break that stereotype for them. That could be the best thing you could do. Is just- the Bible said without vision, people perish or actually fall apart. When I use the word vision, my primary vision is Jesus and His glory. That's the overarching vision I have for life. Learn more about Candid Conversations when you visit ltw.org. Once again, ltw.org. Or you can search on your favourite podcast platform. And I'm sure a ministry representative can help you too. Speak with one at 1300 133 589. That's 1300 133 589. This program is brought to you by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Remember, if you're unable to attend your local church, join Dr. Youssef for Leading the Way live from Apostles. Most Sundays beginning at approximately 10:30 a.m. Eastern Time. Visit ltw.org for a link to the live page. Mac Powell of the award-winning group Third Day is the artist in residence and often facilitates the worship. Join in ltw.org. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.